It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the Deputy Editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have MLB.com Executive Reporter Mark Feinsand. Mark, how you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm okay. I'm healthy. I'm safe. Uh, you know, it, 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 I feel like I'm going to say good, good for today. <laughs> right. It's just every, every question that you ask or answer these days, I feel has to, it's so loaded. Like, I mean, yeah. I have no idea, but God, you know, it, it, every day we get further away from what should have been opening day. It just, it just gets more and more surreal that there's just no baseball to watch right now. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, you know, this would have been or this is my 20th year covering Major League Baseball. And uh, the fact that we're sitting here in you know, the second week of April and uh, and there have been no games to talk about or watch or write about or uh, anything. It's been a very, very odd time. But obviously, uh, you know, like everybody else, I'm just staying home with my family and making sure everybody's safe and healthy. And, uh, you know, we'll get to baseball when we when we can. I know, you know, we all have the optimism that it will be back this season. And uh, until then that day, we'll just do the responsible thing for, for our family and everybody else, you know? There, there's so much, you know, to unpack uh, from, from from what seems like a very simple statement you just made there, you know, because for whatever reason, I've never been someone who can watch old sports. That's whether it's 20 years old or, you know, those people who, like, can go out and DVR a game and not pay any attention to what happens and, you know, come back later and watch it. I've never been that person. I, I, I'm, I'm too results-oriented, I guess. So, you know, even, even the things that, like, are there for you to do, just smorgasbord of old sports that, you know, ESPN and MLB Network and all these places are putting on, I wish that worked for me better than it does. How about you? Well, you know, the, the thing about, um, you know, same day I'm going to be out and the game is on that I want to watch and it's on DVR and stay away from the score, that I can do. That I've actually had some success doing. You know, you just turn off notifications on your phone so you don't see a score. If anybody's texting you who you think might ruin it for you, I just don't look at their text. So I've been able to do that successfully through the years, uh, particularly, you know, a big football game where I'm working on a Sunday uh, in September or October and whatever it may be. Um, you know, a big baseball game, theoretically, I'm probably at the game. So I'm not really worried about that. The classic sports thing is a different monster altogether. I've found that I've enjoyed watching sports documentaries more than old games themselves. I have partaken in a few old games. I, you know, I was flipping channels one night and I came across game four of the Yankees Diamondbacks 01 World Series, the Tino home run and the Jeter Mr. November. And I find it's interesting to watch, rewatch old games or old events that I covered because I wasn't watching them on TV 
when they happened. So those have been interesting to me. But I like the sports documentaries. I'm, I'm excited for the Michael Jordan one that's coming out. So I've sort of watched or rewatched a bunch of the, the 30 for 30s and MLB Network's had some great documentaries. And, you know, even things like Yankeeography, I just, I like those formats very much. And fortunately for us, the streaming platforms that are available have a ton of them. So I would recommend for any sports fan, there are probably a lot of great documentaries about things that you don't know a whole lot about. You'll not only enjoy them, you may actually learn a thing or two. That's a really funny point you bring up there. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS... I actually had to leave early. Um, <laughs> I might not have told you this story, but I did tell Aaron Boone this story this past year. So this was when I was working for Major League Baseball. And what we always had to do then was when the last LCS would end, we had to be at our printer's office to print on the World Series program because the program had really, really brief recaps of, the, of, of each LCS, plus the cover had the two teams on it. So the, the nightmare scenario in these situations for only those of us who were doing this, everyone else wants game seven in the LCS. We were terrified if it would go seven. You know, I, I knew that the Yankees Red Sox was going to be that night. We were going to have a world series matchup. And so what I decided to do was I went to Yankee stadium for the first like six innings. And then I was going to go to our printer. So I got to our printer, which was in times square, literally in time to watch the Pedro's meltdown on the mound. So last week when they were reshowing that game, I was watching the whole thing and I, and I feel like I've seen this game a hundred times, but what occurred to me is I had never actually watched on TV the first seven innings because I was there. Like I watched the end of the game on TV, but I was there for the first for seven and I'm listening to this, you know, Joe Buck and Tim McCarver commentary. And I think if I remember correctly, McCarver was really tearing apart Jason Giambi at one point. And then obviously Giambi has that incredible game, but I was like, how did I not remember this happening? And then I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't remember this happening because I wasn't watching it. And why would you ever have rewatched the first six innings of that game? No, you're hundred percent right. And so I, I found that certain events that I've covered, I do enjoy going back and, and watching the telecasts of those games because you're so, I mean, you know this from being in the business when you're, when you're at a game and you're covering it, chances are you're not paying full attention to every single pitch uh, the way that you do when you're watching on TV because you're working on your story or you're working on, uh, you know, whatever you're working on that has a deadline that night. Or if you're Eric Boland, you're just fighting a bunch of Twitter trolls. Exactly, exactly. So everybody's got their own process. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so I have enjoyed going back and rewatching some of that. I have a bunch of sports stuff on DVD that I have, I've taken them out. I plan on watching them, but I haven't quite gotten myself to do it. Like, somebody bought me a box set of, like, the 10 greatest games in Islanders history. I'm a huge Islanders fan. And, you know, going back and rewatching games with Bossy and Trotty and Podvin and Billy Smith seems like a really cool idea. I just haven't convinced my kids to watch them with me, which is what I'm trying to do. So that, and there are some other, some other events that I would like to watch, but I haven't, I haven't quite done it yet. But like I said, my documentary game has been, uh, has been pretty on, on, on point the last few weeks. So you mentioned your kids, really important question for you. You know, you're spending so much time with them. Do you find that you like them? <laughs> Most of the time. Most of the time. Most of the time I do. Yeah. They're, I have two boys. They're 11 and 14 and they're, um, you know, 14 is, is an interesting age to be home all the time. So yeah, I think most of the time we, we've been doing a lot of family stuff, playing games and puzzles have become our new go-to as well. We're in the middle of a thousand piece puzzle right now. So I have a bit of an addictive personality when it comes to these. So when everybody decides, all right, we're done for the night, I'll end up sitting there for another 45 minutes by myself. Just, you know, I have to just get this section done right now. It's horrible in the same way. 
Yeah, we've been going outside and, you know, shooting hoops in the backyard and taking walks and stuff. But, you know, the good thing about 11 and 14 is they are also self-sufficient to some extent where they're not in my face all day. My, my best friend is a one and a half year old. That to me would be very, very difficult to have to entertain a small child all day long. Yeah, four and seven, we're having uh, somewhere in between those two things in terms of trying to do yeah, it. I could see that. And it could be a lot worse, obviously. So... You know, my question for you, obviously, I said you're an executive reporter for MLB.com. You are the author of two books, co-author with Brian Hoke, our guest in the last episode of Mission 27. And of course, you yourself wrote the New York Yankees fans bucket list. Both of those can be purchased, I assume, still Amazon, IndieBound. Anywhere you can buy books. Absolutely. Perfect. Please go do that. Support our guests. You know, I was kind of wondering about some of our friends in the industry right now who are at present writing books. And I was just thinking, like, man, did they do it right? <laughs> like, this seems like a great time to be writing a book. Yeah, no question. I started thinking, like, all right, is there a book I can write during this time? But the problem is you can't go do your interviews and research and, you know, all the work that goes into writing a book. It doesn't just start when you sit down to write. So, unfortunately, that's not so easy. Uh, but, yeah, if I was working on a book right now, it would have been a great time to just bunker down and actually write it. I enjoyed I enjoyed the process with both. I really enjoyed writing the book with Brian. We worked together great, and we were super proud of the way that book came out. Uh, and the, the best thing that anybody told me uh, after reading the book was Michael Kay, who told me that he learned a lot of things about that 09 team reading the book. And that's a guy who was there for the entire season and on the plane and, and you know, at most games and, and had a front row seat for everything. And even he was able to learn some stuff. So that, uh, that made me feel really good. But, you know, a couple of players who were, who were responsible for helping us get the book going with their interviews, they really liked it. Somebody did a good job. So I was, I was really pleased with it. And uh, if you're looking for a little nostalgia, it's still the most recent Yankees World Series championship. So go read all about it. Absolutely. I think some Yankees fans, uh, I'm not so thrilled with that fact. What is an acceptable way right now to talk about baseball and to talk about the Yankees? You know, I mean, we joked at the beginning of this how every kind of question you ask needs to have a disclaimer at the beginning. You were around, obviously, in New York when 9-11 happened. And, you know, this is a very different thing, but it's a similar just idea of unease and confusion for a lot of people not knowing how to respond to things. You know, what do you think is the proper way we're supposed to be engaging with baseball at the moment? There are similarities and there are differences. I, that was my first year on the beat, and I'm a you know I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in Manhattan. My parents still live there. I lived there at the time. That was a, a much different scenario, only because it wasn't on your block. It wasn't in your grocery store. It wasn't every time you know. First of all, you could leave your house. There was no imminent danger to going to the pizzeria down the street. Right now, there is. So it was a similar time in terms of that. It's something the entire. Certainly the entire city of New York and much of the nation experienced together. I think the three places in Washington and Pennsylvania and New York experienced it obviously differently than than this, whereas this coronavirus pandemic is is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in every state. And it's it's affecting people all over the place. In terms of the baseball part of it, look, I'm a proponent of talking about things that make you feel like life is something closer to normal than it is. Uh, And if that means, you know, having an hour conversation with your friend about the latest series you were binging on Netflix or, you know, arguing over who your baseball Mount Rushmore is, whatever it may be, go for it. Because what's the alternative? Sitting here and watching the news and just being terrified of everything that you see and everything you read. You can't talk about the pandemic 24-7. You have to have other things in your life. So if baseball is a diversion that that makes you happy to talk about, then talk about it. I, I don't have any issue with that. I don't think anybody's mistaking a, a casual conversation about baseball uh, for somebody not 
being concerned or taking the pandemic seriously. Uh, I think it's just, you know, you have to try to talk about other things or we'd all just start ramming our heads in the walls. That's the perfect answer. What I find the most surreal about all this, I mean, beyond just the fact that there's a global pandemic, but we are the most regimented of people in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, about six months before the season starts, we get the schedule for our next season and we know kind of what we're going to be doing, you know, next year and everything like that and where we're going to be at night and what's going to matter to us on July 20th or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's just so surreal to have that taken away in some senses. And, you know, I mean, one thing that's, I, I know I've been explaining to a lot of my friends when they ask, cause they always ask, you know, no, I don't know any more than you do because no one knows any more than you do. And earlier this week, you, you, there was something floated about a possible idea of everything in Arizona. And so you know, I, I know I get 30 texts and emails from friends right now. Like, is this real? And my answer is like, nothing's real right now. No one knows how this is going to go. I mean, I guess my question to you is, do your friends know at this point not to beg you for answers that you can't give them simply because you don't know? Most of them do. There are still a few that haven't quite learned that yet who, uh, you know, continuously send me texts. Hey, what are you hearing? Are you hearing that? What, what are they, they going to start with games? I said, when are they going to start games? How about when can I go to the supermarket without wearing gloves and a mask? That, that, that's sort of the first thing you have to think about before we start worrying about when when games are going to happen. Oh, none of us have any idea. And I think, uh, you know, to speculate on that, it's just... Uh, Pointless because you know right now we're we're all still under social distancing guidelines you know till the end of April and I think the, the most recent uh, situation in terms of like gatherings of more than what ten or fifty people whatever it was is mid May so yeah it's um, you know it's frustrating not to have these answers and not to have any idea but you know I, I'd like to think to the people who are um, you know responsible for this whether it's uh, you know government health officials or even just talking about the people in Major League Baseball, they're, they're, they're on top of it. And, you know, as soon as it's safe for, for baseball to be played, I'd like to believe baseball will be played. Part of what we do on a daily basis is kind of explore not just the athletic feats, but also the personalities and quirks of a lot of these players around the league. And, you know, some of that is very visible right now, too. You can see that there are guys who, you know, ever since camps closed in mid-March have just disappeared and we'll hear from them again. You know, when there's baseball again, I'm kind of looking at DJ LeMayhew. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, expect to see him hanging out uh, on Twitch or Twitter or Instagram or anything like that much. Yeah, I've been having fun watching some of the guys who have been a little bit active and who have been trying to engage with fans and everything like that. I'm curious, are there any players you've spoken to that you've kind of been able to glean how they're, whether emotionally or mentally or physically even, how they're dealing with kind of just this um, abundance of time and uncertainty. You know, what's interesting is that you mentioned DJ LeMayhew, and I saw a clip the other day, I don't remember if the Yes Network, I think the Yes Network was the one that put it out there, of him, uh, he must have, I think he put it on his own Instagram, of him shooting a hockey ball into a tiny net uh, with his dog going crazy in his house. Um, so I thought that was interesting that of all people to be, uh, you know, posting stuff on Instagram like that, DJ LeMayhew would be the last person I would have expected to do so. I'm laughing because as I said it, I remembered that too. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's not, you know, you know, MLB.com has actually been doing a bunch of features on uh, players who are doing their workouts from home, putting them on Instagram, putting them on Twitter, um, you know, sort of uh, a bunch of different clinics people have put on. Of course, there was the big Alex Rodriguez clinic, which everybody was very excited about. Um, You know, I think players are trying to bring some of that to the fans. I've talked to, you know, a handful of guys here and there. 
and they're all just doing what they can, whether it's, uh, uh, I mean, I spoke to David Robertson, old former Yankee, uh, who's rehabbing from Tommy John surgery, and he's down in the St. Petersburg, Florida area, because he's, you know, he's been rehabbing at the Phillies facility in, in Clearwater, uh, you know, throughout the year, and he can't get into the facility right now, so there's a little park down the street from his house, and there's a little ball field there, and he basically takes a bucket of balls, you know, measures off the distance that he's supposed to be throwing at in his throwing program, and just throws balls into the backstop. You know, so guys are uh, are just making do with what they can. Uh, you know, we saw Garrett Cole having a very intense catch with his wife, who's got a pretty good arm herself from her uh, college softball days. So, uh, you know, guys are doing what they can, and uh, whether it's trying to keep themselves in shape or, like everybody else, yourself and myself included, just trying to stay sane. Absolutely. Well, speaking of staying sane, let's uh, take a, just a one minute break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you're doing, not on the writing side, but on the podcasting side with your podcast, Executive Access. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine podcast. The Yankees Magazine podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. Still with me right now, we have Mark Feinshand, executive reporter for MLB.com. And Mark, in addition to the you know work you've kind of been doing all your career, which we've been talking about, you know, you're, you're, you're 48 episodes deep on a new project, which is the podcast Executive Access. I'm curious, how, how did that whole thing come about? So I'm, I'm annoyed that you have to say 48 episodes deep because we're actually like probably about 75 to 80 episodes deep. But the first season of it was under a different uh, sort of podcast feed, which disappeared when we moved all our podcasts over. And of course, that was the season 2017 where I interviewed pretty much every GM in the game. So I may have to I may have to sit down and redo some of those GM podcasts so we can uh, you know have the likes of Brian Cashman and Jed Hoyer and some other guys on the on the podcast feed. Look, it's it's a pretty deep roster you got there, even in just those 48 I was looking at. It is. We're just missing most of the GNs because that was season one. Uh, we're actually trying to figure out a way to, to sort of rebring them back, uh, run some best ofs to at least get them on the feed. It started when I when I left. So, you know, my, you know, my quick history here. I was on the Yankees beat from 01 to 16, uh, 01 to 06 with MLB.com and then 20. 2007 to 16 with the New York Daily News. After the 2016 season, I went back. 
back to MLB.com um, to be the executive reporter, be a sort of a national guy. And we came up with this idea of, of doing sort of a this is your life podcast, uh, like a biography podcast almost with executives around the game. Uh, how did they get to these, uh, to these positions they're in? What was their career path like? Because, you know, back in the day, a lot of them had the same career path. Now there are vastly different stories about how guys became GMs or team presidents or scouting directors or, uh, whatever it may be. And, you know, some have come through the business world. Some have come, uh, you know, through scouting, some have come, you know, very few of them, but there's a couple who were former players who, uh, who moved into that kind of a role. We have guys in this game who worked for NASA and then got into baseball. So being able to hear some of these different stories, uh, of how the people who were running, whoever, you know, your favorite team, uh, how did they get there? And so we sat down and, you know, it's usually about a 35 to maybe 30 minute to 60 minute uh, sort of in-depth interview talking about their history and and, uh, and how they got where they are. So it's been it's really interesting. It's really interesting to hear people's takes on the industry. You know, some are more analytically inclined. Some are more scouting inclined. Some have done a really job, good job, like Brian Cashman, of incorporating both into his front office. And so it's uh, it's been a really enjoyable experience to sit down with all these people and sort of, you know, go through their career step by step. One thing that's so fascinating for me about this project you're working on is, you know, you, uh, if you go on right now, your two most recent episodes are Scott Harris from the Giants and Stan Caston from the Dodgers. Yeah. Ostensibly, you know, those two are doing a lot of the same things in the same industry, but they couldn't be coming at it from more different perspectives with different histories. Uh, you know, there's only 30 major league teams, but you can see just, you know, not every single one of them is run the same way by the same type of people. And not to mention, you know, Stan Kasdan was a president of three professional sports teams at the same time before Scott Harris was born. Exactly. So, um, you know, I mean, like you said, Stan's career uh, is longer than Scott Harris's life has been to this point. So, um, you know, hearing about Scott Harris breaking in, you know, he started in the commissioner's office, uh, ended up going to the Cubs as, as their director of baseball operations and was part of the front office that helped break that curse. Uh, and now he's the GM of the Giants. And, you know, for a guy who's 32 years old and doesn't have the life experience of a guy like Stan and he had some great stories about, you know, those Cubs days and building that team up and being a part of that curse-busting team. Stan Kasten, I mean, to me, sitting down with some of the old-time guys, Stan Kasten, uh, Andy McPhail, um, you know, Dombrowski was great. It's guys who have been around for 30 years. Uh, Cashman, I mean, Cashman's been the Yankees GM for 22, but he's been in the game for, uh, you know, almost 35 years. Um, you know, these guys have been through so much. They have so many great stories to tell. And, They've told a lot of them before, but maybe not in 10 years, maybe not in 20 years in some cases, and in some cases, maybe not at all. Uh, and so being able to, you know, really dig deep to different parts of their career and go through it all, it's, you know, Stan Kasten had some stories about Ted Turner and, you amazing. know, stuff Absolutely that, that was just, you know, talking about the Dominique Wilkins trade in Atlanta and stuff like that. Um, it's fascinating. And so, uh, you know, being able to, to sit down across a desk from one of these guys for an hour and just sit there and sort of shoot the breeze. And it's, it's conversational. Um, obviously I bring a whole lot of questions, but, but some conversations break out from the prepared questions as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, a lot of people have nothing but time on their hands right now. So going digging through that archive, you know, there's somebody from every team, uh, at least one interview from every team in baseball. Some have multiple. 
Uh, I'll give you a sneak peek. The Yankee uh, episode for this season of Executive Access will be dropping next week. And I did something that I've never done before, which was more than one guest at the same time. I did a roundtable with Kevin Reese, Dan Geis, and Matt Daly. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I covered all three of those guys as players uh, when they were with the Yankees and uh, being able to sit there and sort of you know get their take on the transition from playing into being a front office and um, sort of how they go about their business and how they learned that side of the business was uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I think Yankee fans will really enjoy that episode. For sure. I hope you spoke to Dan Geis a little bit about being a harbor police um, in, in San Diego as well. Oh, that oh that came up. Don't you worry. <laughs> we uh, we actually, I, I'll, I'll give one little tease. I asked them all, usually I ask a question about, you know, whoever like the most prominent executive that the person I'm interviewing worked for, you know, what did you learn most working for Theo Epstein or Mark Shapiro or whoever it was, Brian Cashman? Well, in this case, I asked all three of them, what's the best prank you've ever seen Brian Cashman? Pull because Cash obviously is a uh, renowned prankster. Uh, you'll have to listen to the podcast to get the answers, but uh, there was one very, very funny answer. Wow, good tease. I like it. Yeah, you like that? Very well done. Is there a story you're trying to tell with the 70 plus episodes of this, in a sense? Like, is there an arc of a, a sort that, you know, if someone were to pick it up to try to, you know, whether it's like a business school class or anything like that, you know, it, do you think that there is a narrative of sorts that they could pick up from all these different guys running together? I'm sure there is. I mean, like I said, they've all, a lot of them have come from different backgrounds. I would say if there's one thing that almost every one of them talks about uh, at some point during their episode, it's just the sort of cohesion and sort of groupthink and just sort of the, the, the culture that has to be there within a front office for it to be successful. Very few times do you ever hear, well, that guy makes all the decisions. And it can be the smartest guy in the room, whether it's Cash, whether it's the OF scene, whether it's uh, Mark Shapiro, whether it's uh, Chris Antonetti, whoever it may be. There's always a a culture of inclusion in the front office at every one of these places that I think wasn't always the case. I think there were cases, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago where the GM made all the decisions. Uh, You know, maybe the owner would step in and make a decision. But most of the time there was one voice making all the decisions. And now... I think you've you've heard more and more about, you know, the interns in the baseball office department are encouraged to, to share their ideas because maybe they thought of something that nobody else has. So, you know, I think back to Brian Cashman told a story uh, in our book. I don't remember if he said it on the podcast I did with him or not. We were talking about the evolution of analytics and he was talking about Mike Fishman, who's now the assistant GM, one of the assistant GMs, when he was sort of, a, a, you know, relatively new in the department and he came into Cash's office one day. Uh, this is in the in the off season, right at the end of the 08 season, and said, "How would you like to acquire the unluckiest player in baseball?" And Cash said, "Go on." And he proceeded to tell him, Nick Swisher had this horrendous year with the White Sox, but all of the analytics, all of the um, you know peripheral numbers show that everything he did was the same as he was doing when he was having success. He just had bad luck, whether it was his BABIP, whether it was you know the line drive rate, he was hitting him right at people, uh, but the exit velocity was as hard as it's ever been, and the line drive rate was there, and the fly ball rate was there. He just had bad luck, and the Yankees obviously traded for him, and Cash said that trade and the fact that it worked out was one of the things that, you know, it was a big sort of notch in the in the yes column for fish and it helped him uh, i think cash's exact words were it helped him earn a seat at the at the, the round table you know the nights of the round table made him one of my nights and uh so i think you know more executives are 
leaning upon everybody in their department going on the, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea. Um, maybe not one we're going to do, but not one that we're, we don't want to hear. And so I think that would be an overarching theme that I've sort of put together from all of these guys. You know, one of the weird things about this industry is, you know, the players are so visible. The players are the one everyone's exciting about, excited about. But I mean, you know, this, when you're coming up in, in the industry, it's super easy to get a quote from a player. It's pretty hard sometimes to get a quote from an executive. As your career has kind of changed to the point where it's easy for you to get these exact, I don't want to say easy, but you know what I mean. You, you, you can get your calls returned. You can get this stuff set up pretty easily. How do you feel like your perspective on understanding the game is changing when you're hearing so much from the executives as well as being able to go into a clubhouse and get whatever you need from the players? Well, I think my understanding of, of how teams are put together and, and sort of the philosophies that teams are taking is certainly better than it used to be. I mean, I think the biggest difference for me is not only just from talking to executives, but just the fact that I know I'm sort of covering and paying close attention to 30 teams as opposed to one. You know, I could have told you sort of the Yankees philosophy on those things for 16 years, but I had never spoken to an executive from the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, that's probably a bad example because they played in Tampa a lot, but I had never spoken to an executive from the Cincinnati Reds or the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I think, you know, certainly getting a better a better feel for the league as a whole has been helpful. I will say this, as I walk through clubhouses in spring training uh, in February and March before camps shut down, uh, there were fewer and fewer players that I knew, which is a certainly different dynamic for me based on my first career where as a beat writer, where players were sort of my bread and butter, where I, you know, every player that I had ever come across, whether it was on the Yankees or a guy who played against them, who we saw a lot, uh, you know, I would try to always make sure to go over and chat and, and sort of form a relationship uh, for years. The turnover is is immense. And uh, so it's been, it's been a little different to walk into a clubhouse and not know the players as well. But I find, you know, most players, and I don't want to paint them all with the same brush because some of them are certainly exceptions to the rule. A lot of them will give you the bull, bull Durham cliches a lot, and you're not necessarily learning a whole lot. Whereas executives, while they can cliche you occasionally as well, they're more likely to, to sort of explain things to you a little better and be a little more in-depth with their words. And so I think I have a better understanding of the game as a whole and how how it's operated right now than I did four years ago. Do you get the same joy now, you know, from putting together just like a, a story that you've been working on for a while, one that you've really put a lot into, you know, now that in this era, there's so many different ways for you to kind of get information across, you know, do you still get that rush from sitting down, you know, at a keyboard and, you know, really tapping some things out? Yeah, I still like writing. I still really enjoy it. And I think certain stories that I work on uh, where I'm able to bring a lot of voices into one story, I always enjoy those. I did a an oral history two years ago, God, maybe even three years ago at this point, on uh, Aaron Judge's um, draft, him being drafted by the Yankees and sort of how that came about. And I talked to a whole bunch of scouts who had seen him in high school and college and talked to some coaches he had and his manager in the uh, in the Cape and, you know, just a whole bunch of different people who had been part of his journey one way or another, you know, Brian Cashman, David Oppenheimer, Aaron Judge himself. Uh, and, and bringing that all together, uh, I still love those kinds of sort of long form stories because I just think there's not enough of them out there in general. I love reading them and I love writing them. So uh, I certainly still get a rush writing something like that when it's actually published and, and released. But yeah, I, you know, I think I, I enjoy doing the TV stuff. I enjoy doing the podcast, but I do still enjoy writing as well. So obviously executive access, which has many more than 48 episodes, you can pick up you know, <laughs> at uh, MLB.com or any uh, podcast catcher of your choice. 
Mark Feinstein, co-author of Mission 27, author of New York Yankees Fans Bucket List, and many of your favorite stories on MLB.com. Hey, man, thank you so much for joining us. You got it. I appreciate having me. Have fun at home. Have some good catches. Play some ball with your kids and uh, stay safe for sure. You too, buddy. I'll speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. We're obviously, of course, still in a state of limbo here, wondering when there's going to be baseball. But however long this goes, you can keep following us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Keep checking out our content on Yankees.com slash magazine, where you'll see all of our long form content as it's posted. And of course, Listen to this podcast, listen to Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, and we will speak to you soon. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content and much more download the mlb ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.